There was a storm brewing overhead, a classic summer rain that was rolling my way. But that didn't stop me. I was on a mission. I found it. There is a mountain of bamboo here. I mean, a thicket of bamboo. Huge bundles of bamboo here. And you can hear music. Someone's listening to music in their yard. This is right next to someone's property. I mean, right next to someone's property. And then here's the swimming pool. Oh my God. How I got to this abandoned swimming pool with a storm boiling overhead is quite a tale, all in search of the oldest swimming pool in Florida. Hi folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week is the first episode of our summer season, the 10th season of Wait 5 Minutes, and we're going to spend today discussing one of my favorite summer activities, going for a swim on a blistering hot day. Naturally, anyone in Florida for the last century or so who has experienced how hot our summers can get, they know how much you need to take a dip to cool off. It's not a new sensation, and this is why we're spending this week looking for the first pools of Florida, which is maybe a bit harder than you'd expect. But first, I want to talk about swimming, because I love swimming in pools. I don't even remember learning to swim. I know where I learned to swim, though. It was at a pool facility, uh, a place where I also competed in a few races as a little kid with other classmates of mine from, from my school in Seminole County. I remember the size of the pool. I remember the flotation devices I used. I remember seeing my family on the side of the pool as I attempted my best approximation of a race, but I don't remember learning the skills to swim. I don't remember paddling or using my arms, anything like that. I only remember swimming and doing it constantly. Summer was all about swimming when I was in elementary school. I imagine this is a ubiquitous experience when you're a Florida kid, whether it's swimming in the ocean or in a spring or at a river or a local pool, whatever that body of water is, swimming is kind of what I looked forward to all year when I was in school. In fact, I didn't even dare go to my apartment complex pool until I was out of classes. It was sacrilege to even consider. Swimming was for the summer. But the moment the school year was done, I'd drag a family member to the pool and swim around all day until my fingers and toes were prunes, my eyes were bright red from chlorine, and my hair was so coated that it would just stick straight up in the air. I'd make friends at the pool, including hotel pools while on vacation in Clearwater every July. It was just a, the best place to be. One summer, I rode the water slide at a hotel we stayed at 100 times. I know this because I counted on a little notepad that I stole from the hotel room. You, you know the kind, the little pad where you can write things down. Every kid's favorite thing, right? Just me? Anyway, I would imagine adventures below the surface. I'd run up the walls like I was in the Matrix. I would move water with my hands like I was in Avatar The Last Airbender. And I would attempt to create new trick dives into the deep end, demanding full attention from a family member, but more often than not, my grandmother, who had to applaud whichever bizarre move I was convinced that I had invented and no one had ever done before. I think my favorite was the Frankenstein, where you just walk like Frankenstein and then fall in a pool. Swimming in summer became intrinsically connected, even years later, as I have begun swimming less and less, taking a dip has become less of a priority. I still swim every summer and basically no other time of year. 
Nowadays, though, I, I prefer floating next to my family, people watching or chatting or drinking or reading. I'm, I'm no longer trying to do a backflip into the pool or see how long I can hold my breath, though I'll admit it, I still count to see how long, how, how much better I can do underwater than I did as a little kid. But I've been in my fair share of pools across the Florida landscape, and I've seen all the interesting shapes and locations that they can have. So if you're like me, you might guess that Florida was actually the location of the first pool in the United States, but, but that is not the case. Where it actually was makes no sense to me personally. Pretty much all evidence of the first pools in the United States seem to be in northern states, especially in Massachusetts. As was very common in many fields of development, America saw loads of urban growth in the years after the American Civil War. I mean, loads of development. So much changed so quickly once the Civil War was ended and slavery was outlawed, and the way cities functioned just changed overnight. Developing cities were a huge part of that, especially in the northern states. And, and when we're talking about pools, we really need to distinguish two different types, public and private. In the 1800s, the former was much more common. Public pools were the first pools being developed, and the reason as to why is very interesting. The following is a quote from an author named Jeff Wiltz. I used his book, Contested Waters, A Social History of Swimming in America, as a resource for the research. Here's a quote from an interview he did with NPR that aired on Memorial Day 2007. Mr. Wiltz, when asked where the first public pool in America opened, said the following, quote, In Boston, Massachusetts, it was the Cabot Street Bath, 1868, and as the name suggests, it was intended not to function as a swimming pool. It was located in a poor immigrant working class neighborhood in which the surrounding homes didn't have bathing facilities, and public officials wanted the immigrants and working class residents to bathe themselves. They had to provide this large public bathtub for them. End quote. So that is very similar to what was happening in ancient times, actually, where giant pools were open to the public to cleanse themselves. America, a couple thousand years later, was following the same operation. These public baths became more prominent in other northern cities, including, quote, Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, end quote, where parks and neighborhoods used public pools for cleansing and socializing, though Mr. Wiltz's book is mostly about this socializing element, reflecting the various segregations, whether by class or race or gender, that the pools went through over the course of many years. It's, it's a very interesting read, the ways that pools have reflected, no pun intended, our socioeconomic situations. But as the 20th century came to be and more and more pools were popping up around the country, the social element of pools was its main draw. In the 1920s and 30s, Mr. Wiltz notes, pools became a feature of luxury resorts, including here in Florida. One of the most fantastic pools in a Florida hotel was in St. Augustine, built by, who else? Henry Flagler. I promise I'm not trying to bring him up at all times. He's just everywhere. He's going to get mentioned again in this episode. Apologies. This hotel was the Alcazar Hotel, the second hotel that Flagler built in St. Augustine. Today, it is the Leitner Museum across the street from Flagler College, which was Flagler's first hotel, the Ponce de Leon, before being converted into the college it is today. The Alcazar Hotel was built in 1888, originally supposed to be a quote-unquote entertainment annex, more of a connection to the Ponce de Leon Hotel rather than a hotel in and of itself. It is very unique 
unique in design with these large square towers up front, combining Spanish, Italian, and Moorish design elements to create a totally beautiful, unique structure. I've wandered its grounds, and it feels like a whole different world when you're within the walls. Back at the turn of the century, when the hotel was open, the building was known for its steam baths and casinos. It really was a more entertainment-oriented hotel. One such feature that was entertaining for the visitors was, quote, the world's largest public indoor swimming pool at the time, end quote. There's a photo of the pool from 1889 on the Leitner Museum website. I'll share it on the socials for this show. That is just absolutely incredible. The pool is inside a massive multi-story room made of poured concrete. Outside of the pool, there are ladies and gentlemen in full period garb. Long, thick dresses, overcoats, bowler hats, small waterfalls pour fresh water into the sides of the pool, and a skylight in the roof above drenches the room in daylight. Inside the pool are about nine men, all in bathing suits of the time, the, the full body ones that look like a short, shorts and a t-shirt. One man is standing on the shoulders of another man. One man is floating on his back, just relaxing. One appears to be splashing some water, having a good time, and, and most notably, there is one man with a flotation ring in front of his face, you know, framing a circle around his face with the white circle of the ring. Everybody in there is just having a good time. People have acted the same way in pools for about a hundred years. It's just who we are. I think if I could travel back in time, one place I'd want to be is that swimming pool. It just looks like a truly raucous good time. Now there is a debate, and I can't quite find a good answer for this. I can't find where the first public pool in Florida was. One that wasn't on a hotel, one that was a community municipality type thing. Some searching points to a community pool in Bartow, Florida, but Florida Memories website says that that one came about in the 1930s, which is far too late based on all the other pools that exist. It may be the case, so maybe Bartow is home to that, but another search points me to the Venetian pools that are down in Coral Gables, but those were constructed in 1924, which again is way too late for the other ones that were being built in 1880s. Maybe that is when the first community pool was opened, but we're going to have to go to the Venetian pools because it's actually still open, so I'm going to have to pay them a visit. Apparently it's like an old coral rock quarry, so that'll be an amazing time. Either way, the debate that I'm here to tell you about today is not actually about the oldest public pool in Florida. Rather, the debate is about the first in-ground pool, and all evidence suggests that it was probably at a structure about an hour and change north of me at a location called the Princess Place Preserve. The fairy tale name, I think, tells you a little bit about the kind of place that this is. There's a lot going on here. The name Princess comes from one of its most recent owners, the, the person who probably owned it for the longest, a woman named Princess Angela Sherbatov. According to the Flagler County Historical Society, who own and operate the Princess Place Preserve, Angela was married to the man who built the building currently on property. When he died in 1892, she went back to New York, where she was from originally. Quote, There she met and married an exiled Russian prince, Boris Sherbatov, end quote. That's just the kind of thing that happened to people in 1892. Your husband dies, you go back to New York, you meet a Russian prince. Normal situation for a person to experience. Anyway, they moved back to this property and it, quote, became the focal point for entertainment for socially prominent visitors from Europe and the eastern United States, end quote. Thus, it became known 
as Princess Place, a title it has retained for over a century. Before it was known as Princess Place, it was called Cherokee Grove. The land was owned in the 1700s by a man named Francisco Pelliser. Pelissier? I don't think it's Pelissier. Pelliser is what I'll go with for now. He was a Menorcan who came over with Andrew Turnbull to found New Smyrna. We've talked about that story a few times on the show, including in the episode about the Tolomato Cemetery. Pelliser was a carpenter who moved to St. Augustine and built a home that has been reconstructed and is now home to a British pub restaurant in St. Augustine. Maybe we'll pay them a visit another time. Pelliser owned this land, though, where Princess Place now stands. This is from Visit Florida's article on Princess Place. Quote, Pelliser and his family lived here for 38 years, growing corn, cane, and cotton until they were burned out during the Indian Wars. End quote. So the Indian Wars, which I usually call the Seminole Wars, were in the early parts of the 1800s. It's around then that this land became an orange grove, but it would be a couple more decades until the man who owned this place, Angela's first husband, came to own it. The body of water, however, by this land is named for Pelliser. It's called Pelliser Creek. But Pelliser did not build the structure that stands in the preserve. It was built by Henry Mason Cutting. Cutting was born in 1865, at the very tail end of the American Civil War. He was born in New York, and he was in his early 20s, younger than me, when he bought the land where Princess Place would be built. Quote, he enlisted artisans already brought to St. Augustine by his friend, railroad magnate Henry Flagler, to construct his Adirondack-style lodge between 1886 and 1888. End quote. He brought his wife, Angela, to the home in 1888. And let me tell you, having visited it, it is beautiful. There's these absolutely gorgeous cypress trunks that make up the, the sort of main banisters for the porch that goes around the building. It's so lovely. I could sit on the rocking chairs that they have out there forever. It's It looks out on the water and it's just such a comfortable spot. But Cutting didn't get to enjoy it for a very long time because he died, as I mentioned, in 1892. Only 27 years old. The home became Angela's, and you know the rest of the story. She meets a Russian prince, normal experience. Anyway, what really matters is that on this property, on Princess Place, there was, and is, a pool. So I went to the preserve to find it. Okay, so we're going to read the Florida Heritage Landmark here. Talk a little bit about this history. In 1791, the King of Spain offered an 1,100-acre land grant to Francisco Pelliser. Now, that's the name I keep coming back to. Pelliser, Pelissier. I don't think it's Pelissier. <laughs> I think it's Pelliser. Pe uh, Henry Mason Cutting purchased the property in 1886, renaming it Cherokee Grove, featuring local materials including tabby block, cladding, cedar and palm tree trunk posts, and pink coquina. The Adirondack camp-style lodge was constructed in 1887 camp-style. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's got the long sloped like triangular roof with really clear, beautiful shingles on top and stone chimneys. But the structure itself is made of stone instead of wood. I don't know if that's a restoration though. I'll keep reading. The complex included servants quarters, a caretaker's house, tennis courts, stables, bathhouse, pool house, and the first in-ground concrete swimming pool in Florida. That is the sentiment that we are here to talk about it says so even on this sign which i believe was put up in 2004 it says the first in-ground concrete swimming pool in florida but that's the sentiment you heard me say it it's right here written in 
I don't know what this is made of, but it says the first in-ground concrete swimming pool in Florida. Let's go visit it. So the house is over to the right here and there's an ice house which I believe is probably where they kept the like fragments of ice that they were using to keep cool or to put in, I don't know, were they putting it in drinks? Maybe. And then about a dozen, couple dozen paces away from the house is a bathhouse. And then behind the bathhouse is a swimming pool. Wow. Oh my goodness, there are bugs flying on my face. Okay, now here is the first in-ground swimming pool in Florida, artesian fed. And I believe the picture is of the princess herself. But this sign is kind of why we're here. This sign is the reason that I'm talking about any of this at all, the reason I'm making this episode, the reason we are <laughs> drove all the way to Flagler County to look at this old building. It's because this sign says, and, and sort of attests the statement, first in-ground swimming pool in Florida, right here. And as you can hear, there is water running. Now it's running from a pipe. And I gotta say, no offense, I mean, they're not trying to make it a, a pool that you'd want to swim in right now, but it really does not look like a pool you want to swim in. Very green. <laughs> Very murky, let's say. I mean, what is really special about this place is that there is a... The, the river is right here. I mean, the river is about as close to the pool as the pool is to the house. Maybe even closer. It's, uh, the house is to the east of the pool and the river is to the north. And I mean, it is beautiful. There's some people kayaking out here. There's uh, lots of land all around, palm groves out in the distance. I don't even know if I can see another man-made structure. Okay, there's some houses on the other side. That way is actually marine land, which is a location we should talk about sometime on the show. But we're, we're I mean, not very far from St. Augustine, only a hop, skip and a jump. but. What I think is interesting is that next to the pool is the bathhouse, and the bathhouse, maybe this is a current detail, there's a wooden plank connecting the exit door of the bathhouse to the pool, which makes it seem like you go from the house to the bathhouse, you wash up in the bathhouse to be ready to go in the pool, and then you literally walk across this plank and then jump into the pool. You know what's interesting? There is a red fence around the pool. Obviously, they don't want you getting into it or even getting close to it. Probably don't even want you touching it. I'm not going to. Oh, walked directly through a spider web. I hope there's not a spider on me. Anyway, oh. Well, now I've discovered something else entirely. Oh, wow. So there seems to be what looks like a crack in the side, I mean, it's a very faint crack. Maybe it's just a split in the stone, but where the stone is split in the pool, there is a drain of water that is pouring out. And they've built, it looks like, it looks like they've built a little structure for the pool water to flow down back to the water. And there are crabs everywhere, little brown, black crabs. 
not the cutest crabs I've ever seen. They're actually kind of look more like spiders than crabs, if I'm being honest with you. They're kind of nasty. <laughs> but, I mean, this, this is... Wow! Hi, everybody! I wonder what kind of crabs you are. My goodness, they're everywhere. There's a plank of wood over here that I bet employees walk across. That it, I bet if you lifted that up, there would be mm, upwards of one billion crabs under there. This just is a big crab area, but... Yeah, I mean, you probably can't repair that crack because this is historic. Oh my God, there's a crab in the crack. There's gotta be crabs in the pool. Well, then it's not exactly a pool for humans anymore, is it? It is certainly a crab pool now, but this right here is supposed to be the first in-ground concrete pool in Florida. But here's the problem and the reason I wound up at this location in the first place. I was searching for any article or research on what was widely considered to be the first pool in Florida had someone decided on what it actually was and I stumbled upon an article in the Orlando Sentinel that put me on my path. It was published on December 26th, 2004 written by Mike Lafferty. The headline reads, quote, Florida's first swimming pool. It's down to Volusia versus Flagler. End quote. The Flagler is in reference to the Princess Place Pool, but Mr. Lafferty suggests an alternative. He suggests that in the city of DeBerry, there is a location that might undercut Princess Place's legacy as the first pool, despite the multiple signs at Princess Place saying otherwise. So I followed Mr. Lafferty's lead 18 years after his quest. I found myself at DeBerry Hall right as a storm was rolling in. DeBerry Hall, in the city of DeBerry, sits on the north shore of Lake Monroe. My town, Sanford, sits on the southern shore, so while I drove over an hour to reach Princess Place, DeBerry Hall was a hop, skip, and a jump across the water. DeBerry Hall is right at the edge of a neighborhood. Suburban houses surround it on all sides. You have to go through a few residential streets to even reach it, but you can't miss it. It's a glowing white manor with blue shutters that sits atop a small hill, a totally gorgeous building that is so evocative of the era that it was built, the 1870s. It's named for Frederick DeBerry, who is also the namesake of the town. He was born in Germany in 1815 and came from a long line of nobles in Europe. There's a genealogy room in the DeBerry Hall Historic Museum that goes over all the people that he was connected to. My goodness, that family line goes back. Anyway, he made a fortune selling bottles of Mum's Champagne, a brand of champagne that still exists today. DeBerry had two children and many rich friends and a desire to spend his time hunting in Central Florida. So he built a hunting lodge. That's what this is. He planted an orange grove and he also invested in the steamboat lines that ran along the entire St. John's River from Sanford up to Jacksonville. He essentially made money hand over fist from these various endeavors and his home reflected the wealth at his disposal. Frederick DeBerry would die in 1898, just three years after the Great Freezes destroyed his orange groves. His daughter would move on to Europe, where her relatives still live, and his son had four children, but all of them would die without having a child of their own. So in 1941, with the death of his fourth child, the DeBerry family line owning DeBerry Hall ended. That's a tragic story in and of itself. She died in a plane crash, a small one. She was a pilot herself, but that's a story I think for another day. There's a lot more DeBerry for us to explore. Eventually, DeBerry Hall would become the DeBerry Hall historic site, which I visited. 
you can visit the inside of the house with a docent. That's the only way to go inside. You have to go on a guided tour, but I'm not going to complain. I, I had a great time. I, I met a lovely woman named Anne who was going to be my guide. We had a wonderful chat. We walked through the entire building. It was great. But the first part of my tour is naturally a film introducing you to the location and its history. I've been to a ton of museums. This is extremely common, but I'll be honest with you. This is a bit different than the usual pre-museum video that I've seen. When this movie started, it wasn't just projected onto one wall, it was projected onto three walls. And the seats that I was sitting in, they were positioned in these rows in sort of a circle in the middle of the room. And then that circle started to move. It started to, to rotate slightly to point me into different parts of the screen. It started to shake like I was on a boat. Man, I, I had a great time. I felt like I was at Epcot. It was awesome. I, I was having the time of my life. You've got to see it to believe it. It is a very unique experience for a museum, just a local museum to have something like this. It was awesome. Anyway, Anne and I then began exploring the DeBerry house. It is beautiful. It's so fascinating. There's servants' quarters. There's beautiful artifacts right inside. There's clothing inside. It's it's just it's just a wonderful historic location. Right through the door that we entered, though, was a case of taxidermied birds, birds that had been stuffed and held inside of that glass case since Frederick de Berry was alive. That is his actual case of birds. They have photographs from the era with the same case in the same spot. And joked about how you can't open that case because the birds would just crumble. Imagine how long they've been like sealed inside of that glass case, untouched in like a vacuum. It's a really fascinating thing to see inside of this exhibit to know that it's just been there for as long as it's been there, you know? But it's perfect decor for what this house was. It was a hunting lodge. Visitors would wake up early, go hunt at dawn, and return with their catches to celebrate the day. The home drew the attention of DeBerry's notable friends for hunting, including three presidents, Ulysses S. Grant, Grover Cleveland, and Chester A. Arthur, who is one of the few presidents that I know nothing about. Walking around and looking at pictures, you can just imagine the life that was being lived in this space over a century ago. Apparently, so much champagne was being drunk that they would line the roads around the house with the empty bottles. This sounded like a real place to be in its heyday. One image really stuck out to me, one that Anne told me about. Anne says that there's this room where, where there used to be a piano. Music used to be played in this room, and they would play jaunty party music, and people would dance with their with their partners, and it would be this wonderful celebration for the family members and the guests. Is this room that is at the front of the house. The windows that face out to the front yard of the house still have some of the original panes of glass. You can tell because they're the ones that have ripples in them because they're poured glass. They have these imperfections and these windows have these imperfect poured glass original panes all over them. If you look to the top of the window frames and the ceiling, you see these openings. Anne told me that you could slide those windows up into the ceiling so you can just let the sunshine and wind come through the window. Anne tells me workers would assemble out front of the house and dance to the lively music. Standing in that room, I'm struck by how that sounds like kind of the best way to spend a summer evening. Windows open, music drifting in the hot air, with a view looking out to the orange grove and the lake, with people dancing as the sun disappears and the mosquitoes rise. We walked through the rest of the house and saw the beautiful artifacts within, but my mind remained in that room where the panes of glass still in the windows are the very same ones that witnessed some very warm parties over a century ago. 
But as much as I enjoyed the house, I told the staff that I was looking for something else entirely, something specific and not quite on property, the pool. Anne showed me a photo of some kids back in the day playing in the original pool on the property. This pool was hand dug with a sandy bottom and water coming from the aquifer below through a pipe and there were these cypress planks along the side to keep the structure of the pool in place they could raise the water level and lower it but apparently they had to make sure there were no uh you know gators and snakes inside it, it wasn't directly next to the house either like the one at princess place that one was right next to the house but the one here at deberry is on the original property it's just a, a, a little bit of a distance away it's now a few blocks down a, a road next to somebody's house when I told the people of the hall that I was looking for this place, they were all frankly wary of me seeking out the pool. For one thing, they tell me there were a lot of bugs. For another, they were telling me that it wasn't much to see. The original pool had been filled in with concrete in the years since, and at one point many decades ago it was apparently used for swim classes of some kind, but that was a long time ago. And when Mike Lafferty paid it a visit, he talked about how finding it was like discovering ruins. He talked about how overgrown it was. He repeatedly discussed how difficult it was to reach the pool, but my friends at DeBerry Hall assured me that there was a clearer path now, though they kept saying, there's nothing really to see. Nevertheless, I set off on my path for the pool. So, I have just left the DeBerry Hall. Beautiful museum, exhibit, wonderful time. And uh, I'm now headed towards a road called Fraser. It's about a block from the DeBerry Hall because there is a old pool here. Maybe the oldest pool in Florida. And I have to find it. They just said to me, the lovely people at the Berry Hall said that uh, it's kind of run down and covered in bugs and that I need to be conscious and not, and just be aware They even kind of suggested that I don't go, which is fair. But it's not their liability. I'm the one being a little stupid. And honestly, when I was a kid, I kind of dreamed of doing stuff like this. Going looking for old abandoned things that you shouldn't go looking for. So there is a storm that is headed our way and I will be getting rained on any minute. But until that happens, I'm gonna look for this pool. Do you hear that? I'll admit it, I think you can hear it in my voice. I get a little spooked out right here. There was music drifting through the woods in the direction I was going, and even though I realized eventually that it was coming from somebody's house, for a moment it just sounded like a woman was singing a song out in the woods. Not comforting, but I soldiered on. When the music got louder, I found that it was coming from somebody's house. I, I felt a little safer, and then there was this dip in the woods and a path that led me to the pool. So there's a path. 
people playing music. I mean, not to be dramatic, but this is the Blair Witch. Wow, that's the most bamboo I've ever seen in my life. I found it. There is a mountain of bamboo here. I mean, a thicket of bamboo. Huge bundles of bamboo here. And you can hear music. Someone's listening to music in their yard. This is right next to someone's property. I mean, right next to someone's property. And then here's the swimming pool. Oh my God. They told me it was fenced in and it is, but it is a beautiful, creepy, empty stone pool. This is the location of the first swimming pool in Florida. I'm standing at it. This was the first swimming pool in Florida. It's been renovated and, and become concrete, but this was where the first swimming pool was connected to DeBerry Hall 140 years ago. And I've just walked through the woods and there it is. Oh my God, I have to take pictures. It was a small stone pool about the same size as the one at Princess Place. The base of the pool was a dark green. It had algae or even a bit of moss on the bottom to give it that color. If there was once a bathhouse, it is long gone. There, there seems to be some structure, some ruins next to it, but I can't quite tell. But here, in these dense woods, sits the original dug hole that the children once played in. Very possibly the first swimming pool in Florida. The big possibly, the big if, as presented in Mr. Lafferty's article, goes as such, quote, An 1882 survey of DeBerry's holdings shows the shape of a rectangular swimming pool and two bathhouses, end quote. 1882, as Mr. Lafferty points out, predates Princess Place by at least five years. So even though Princess Place is likely the first in-ground concrete pool, DeBerry Hall very well may nab the status of the actual first. This is the same conclusion that Mr. Lafferty comes to in his article. This pool, hidden away beyond the shadows of this forest, is very likely the first pool in Florida. But after visiting both and, and thinking about it a little bit, I don't know how totally interested I am in which one was first. When I started this episode, I, I definitely was. I write so many episodes about Florida's first blank, the first time a Floridian did blank. And I, of course, love those stories. But to me, having seen both of these pools, having gone for a swim in my own neighborhood pool this week on a notably hot day, and, and looking forward to spending more time in the pool when I go to the beach this July, I'm more interested in the why of pools. Why did people build those pools in the first place? The rich individuals of Princess Place and DeBerry Hall certainly had their reasons. They wanted to have somewhere to relax, and it seems they wanted to have somewhere nice for kids to spend their day. But I think of the pool at Alcazar Hotel, the people in that photo, laughing and playing around and, and just having a good time. I think the reason that they built those pools, the first ones, and the reason we keep building them is because they give us a chance to just relax. We enter a different world. We're floating. When else do you get to float? 
And even though the pools I found today are mucky, hidden green tubs, remnants of what they once were, you can imagine that a century ago, there was nowhere finer in town to be on a hot summer Florida day than those pools on that day. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of the summer season of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you were here. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to it. Please leave a five-star review. Please tell your friends about it. This show has been growing exponentially over the last couple of years, and it really means the world to me. But as always, the first episode of a season is a great place to jump in, and everybody loves swimming. Everybody has a relationship with swimming. It would mean a lot to me if you sent the show to somebody who you know would enjoy it. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. And you can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. An episode that's coming out next week is because a friend reached out through that email and wanted to do an interview for the show. And that is what we did. I cannot wait for you to hear that episode. If there's more you want to hear, I've gotten some fantastic emails of suggestions. Let me know what you want to hear on this show. I promise I will get around to it all. That's the plan, at least. Thank you so much to the people at the DeBerry Hall. It was such a wonderful visit. If you are in this part of town, go pay them a visit. It is a fantastic way to spend an afternoon. I didn't even get into all of the wonderful things that you can do on that property, so go pay them a visit and tell them Nick sent you. If you can get a tour by Anne, I cannot recommend enough. She was the best. All right. That's it for this week's episode. I will be back next Monday with a brand new episode about Florida's mangroves. You are not going to want to miss it. I love this episode. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, and please drink more water. See you next week. Mm-hmm.